Tonight's Bible reading comes from Mark 14 to 28. <coughs> After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, said Jesus, and I will teach you to fish for people. And once they left their nets and followed him, um, and once they left their nets and followed him, now, when he got when he got a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. With without delay, he called them and left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. They went into Capernaum, and. Um, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them who, as one who had authority, not as t the teachers of the law. Just, as the, just then, a man in the, their synagogue who was possessed by an immature spirit cried out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The immature spirit shook the man violently, and he came out with a shriek. The people were all so amazed. They asked each other, what is this, a new teaching with an authority even that orders of immature spirits and um, them obey him. The news about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. This is the Gospel of Christ. Thank you, Aurora. Good evening, everybody. Just before we start, just got to, to mention one of these. There's about 30 of the Gospel of Mark daily Bible reading journals. So if you'd like one, there's about 30 of them, as I said. Have a look at them, make them personal. You can actually write little notes in there about what God has been saying to you, what you say to God. It's just a great little way of developing and growing through the, the whole series of the Gospel of Mark. I think it's been taken out of Master Life. I'm not really sure about it. But it looks a bit like that to me. But it's worthwhile grabbing, free. There's about 30 of them down there. So if you want, I'll just stop here for a minute. You can make a beeline, get them. No, all right, let them go. Get it afterwards. Or you can sneak out and get one if you want. That's fine as well. But they're there available for you if you'd like to use them. You can use them every day. Okay, let's, uh, let's pray as we uh, look at God's word here this, uh, this evening. Father, thank you already for the... Uh, precious time that we've enjoyed together, Lord. We're here to uh, worship you and we continue in that uh, 
precious time of just being able to, uh, Lord, just gaze upon you, just fixing our eyes on Jesus, getting him off ourselves and just turning towards you. And we pray that we'll continue to enjoy your presence and your fellowship amongst us as we uh, look into your word. Pray that you will uh, open our eyes and our ears and our hearts and do the work in us that only you can do by your precious spirit, we pray, as we commit ourselves to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we uh, tonight continuing our series in the Gospel of Mark that uh, Pastor Darrell began last week, um, this is also, interestingly, a gospel that Christianity Explained uses uh, on which to base its teachings about Jesus and of which our life group has just also started it as well. We've at least started the first lesson uh, of Christianity Explained. Great little course, and um, if you're interested, come and talk to me more about after the service. But the Mark's Gospel. So Mark's Gospel, says the NIV Study Bible, is simple, it's succinct, it's unadorned, yet vivid account of Jesus' ministry, emphasising more about what Jesus did than what he said. Mark moves quickly, and he does, from one episode in Jesus' life and ministry to another, often using the adverb immediately or at once, and you'll see that mentioned something like 42 times in Mark's Gospel. For example, right in this chapter, uh, verse 10 actually has it, but unfortunately, uh, the NIV admit, uh, omits that particular one. Um, but then in verse 12, it does use that at once you'll see these words used immediately and then at once immediately immediately all through the gospel of mark it's just one of those uh, uh, things that he does um, so verse one for example verse one is pretty much pretty much establishes the very title of what mark's all about look at verse one of mark chapter one in the beginning of sorry the beginning of the good news about jesus the messiah the Son of God. There it is. That's really what the gospel message is all about. And uh, let's, get, let's launch into this because part of the good news about Jesus, the Son of God, is that he came into the world with authority, which is what the first lesson actually happens to be about in Christianity Explained as well. But then it leads into chapter two and maybe other chapters as well. But I want us to stay in chapter one tonight and I want us to lead off from verse 14. And, but I do want to speak about this, this topic called authority, the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Authority. Let me just ask you a quick little question. Have a think. What scriptures or scripture comes to mind when you think of authority in terms of Christ's authority? What comes to mind? Anyone? Any verses jump out at you? Let me give you a quick hint. The Great Commission in Matthew 28. Yeah. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. How much authority? He's got all authority. Not just 99.9% .9 of it. He has all authority. He says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And it's part of that Great Commission, as I said. And I believe that Christ's authority is foundational to his commission to us as his followers and disciples to go and make disciples. What do I mean by that? Well, apart from the authority of Christ 
our words and our deeds would be powerless. Just like it was, for example, for the teachers of the law, which we'll get into in a minute, in verse 22. But we need his authority. We need his authority for his commission then to us has his authority. Without his authority, we don't have anything. Our words and our deeds would be pretty empty and powerless. And also, of course, though that magnificent verse from John chapter 15 and verse 5, Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Okay, Mark 1, 14 to 15. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So just a little bit of background here. So Jesus has come down from Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, where John the Baptist was baptizing. Jesus was baptized by him in the Jordan River, as we know. And then straight after that, immediately, Mark says, or at once, Jesus was led out by the Spirit to be tempted those 40 days. And Mark, though, in his typical style, he says at once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness to be tempted for those 40 days. Sent out, led out. It was the Holy Spirit that was at work with Jesus, working with him and giving him that power, sending him out, leading him out. So after that happens, uh, John gets put in prison. And uh, in, in chapter 6 of Mark, we have a fuller account of why, what was going on with John, the circumstances of his imprisonment, including then his execution, which is also mentioned there. That's in Mark chapter 6, which we'll get to later on, not tonight. And then Jesus, after all this, he returns to Galilee and he begins his ministry in Galilee. Um, Bible commentator Graham Scroggy, he makes this point. He says, Jesus began where John ended on the note of repentance. I just want to touch on that. Before we launch into the authority side of things, I want us to just have a little pause for a minute and talk about this, as Scroggy's mentioned here. Uh, this, this note of repentance. Um, I, just, I read one of the best descriptions um, from, of what this word actually means um, from, a, from William Barclay. Now, let me just say, William Barclay doesn't always... I wouldn't always agree with the stuff that he writes, but he's brilliant with his historical accounts of things and some of the explanations. But this is what I do. I do like what he says about repentance. Let me just read it to you in in a minute. But the Greek word for repentance is metanoia. And it literally means a change of mind. And I'm sure you've heard that before. Okay. But let me let me read this to you, because I reckon he unpacks this really well. And uh, makes some very clear distinctions here. <clears throat> Excuse me. So what does repentance really mean? Barclay says this. We are very apt to confuse two things. Sorrow for the consequence of sin and sorrow for sin. And I'll, he's using many a man. So many a man or many a person is desperately sorry because of the mess that sin has got him into. But he very well knows that if he could reasonably be sure that he could escape the consequences, 
he would do the same thing again. It's not the sin that he hates, it's its consequences. Do you understand what we're saying here? It's like, it's like a criminal committing an act. It's not the crime he's really sorry for, it's being caught that he's really sorry about, generally speaking. You know what I mean? Not the crime, it's being caught for the crime. If he wasn't caught, he'd probably continue to do the crime. So it's not the sin that he hates, it's its consequences. Listen, real repentance means that a person has come not only to be sorry for the consequences of their sin, but to hate sin itself. That's the difference. Repentance means that a person who was in love with sin comes to hate sin because of its exceeding sinfulness. <clears throat> Does that make sense? And I believe that that's what the Holy Spirit does. Following this Holy Spirit empowered change of mind, for it is no less than that. And I don't believe you will come to a place where you will hate sin because you'll know that it, it grieves God's spirit so much. It wounds Jesus. And because we love Jesus, we hate the sin that he hates. We don't just hate the consequences. We're not just sorry for the mess that it's got me into and someone else. We hate it because God hates the sin. And we have that same hate. How does that song go? Break my heart for what breaks yours. Isn't that beautiful? That's what it's about. Repentance is coming to that place where you know you're being filled with the Spirit and you begin to hate sin. Not because of what it does, because of what it is and how much Christ hates it. It's a Holy Spirit change of mind. It's not a natural thing that happens. And when you come to life in faith in Christ, who is Christ, who is the author and the authority of our faith. Okay, let's look what happens here in verses 16 to 20. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I'll make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he got a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. We've, I don't know how many times you've heard that and how many times I've read that, probably dozens of times over your Christian life. But you know what? To me, this is one of the most amazing scenes in the New Testament. I mean, think about it. Who else could walk up to a group of seasoned fishermen, all right, well-established, well-experienced in their trade, and then simply say to them, rightio, leave all of that and follow me. I've got something else for you to do, basically. And then the result of that, that immediately, at once, as Mark says, they leave and they follow this Jesus. What's going on here? Who is this person? You see, I don't believe it's just a, a charisma on Jesus' part. But I believe there's something about his authority. His authority over human design and purpose. There's something about the authority of this Son of God. 
over us, over, over our human design and our purpose. Jesus knew these men. I believe he knew all there was to know about them. And mysteriously, agree or disagree, as God in human form, you could say that Jesus knew them before they were born. He knew why they were born and he knew when they were to be born. Just as he does for you and me today. This is who God is. You were born at just the right time. Not a moment before, not a moment after. I believe that. And I believe the psalmist backs that up. Listen to what he says. Psalm 139, verses 15, 16. The whole psalm is magnificent. But verses 15, 16. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. I believe he's talking about people like, just like you and me. Look how the Apostle Paul explains this whole concept to the Ephesian believers when he says this in Ephesians 1, 4 and 5. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his spirit. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. In him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Just awesome, isn't it? When you think about that, you're no accident. You were meant to be. And God knew about you and he knows the days he has for you. Yeah, we can screw it all up, but God wants you to be in his will. He wants you to walk with him so that he can unfold that will and that, that authority that he wants you to have in your life as well, which we'll move through again in, in a minute. But here's a question. Why, why try to make something of yourself? Why, did, why try to make something of your own life when the author and the creator of life says, I will make you? as he did with these fishermen. Verse 17, Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. You see, his design and purpose for your life and mine will far outweigh, will far surpass and outlast anything you could possibly do for yourself. Oh, and yes, it even comes with eternal life benefits. When we listen to him, when we acknowledge his authority, when we acknowledge that he has the design and the purpose for our lives and we hear him speak into our hearts from his word, into our hearts, and he says, follow me, you need to follow me. We need to put his will into our lives, not our own, as these fishermen are experiencing it. But first, we must come to him. We must follow him as these fishermen did. A little poem that was quoted in Graham Scroggie, Scroggie's little book goes like this. 
in simple trust like theirs who heard beside the Syrian sea. The gracious calling of the Lord, let us, like them, without a word, rise up and follow thee. Amen? Yeah. So Jesus has authority over human design and purpose. But Jesus also has authority as a teacher over God's word. Look at verses 21, 22. When they went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, sorry, they went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. And so unlike the teachers of the law, whose regular habit was to quote the names of human authorities in their teachings, that's what they used to do. Jesus, on the other hand, as Mark's gospel testifies, taught them as one who had authority. And that's because he was and is the authority. Authority as a teacher over God's word because he is the word who became flesh and dwelt among us, as John says in John 1 and 14. He is the authority. Warren Wearsby, he says this, it's been said that the scribes spoke from authorities, but that Jesus spoke with authority. And it's no wonder the people were amazed at his teaching. I wonder if we're still amazed at his teaching today. Are you amazed when you open the word of God and you pray, Lord, open my eyes that I might see wondrous things out of your law, out of your word. Are you amazed at how he speaks to you personally as if you're the only one there? And can I ask, do we give permission for the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ in the person of the Holy Spirit to have that place in our hearts and in our lives where God's word forms us, where his word transforms us and where his word conforms us to be more like Jesus in our daily lives. His word forms, he transforms and he conforms us more and more to the image of his son. That's what he wants to do. Jesus has authority over human design and purpose. Secondly, he has authority as a teacher over God's word. Thirdly, Jesus has authority over the demonic world, the demonic and the satanic world. Look at these verses in Mark 23 to 28. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. 
He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. And news about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. I don't know, I, I, one wonders how often that demonized man had been coming to that synagogue. How often he'd been there? What was going on? Why was this demon not exposed before? He'd been in the synagogue, possibly, I don't know. But one wonders how often he'd been there before he was exposed as being possessed by this impure demonic spirit. But then the author of truth brings the word of truth. Indeed himself. And the demonic world instantly recognized him. Isn't that interesting? Yes, including the authority that Jesus had over them. And we see that because these demons actually start to acknowledge Christ. They acknowledge his humanity. They acknowledge Christ in his humanity. Look at verse 24. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? And then followed by, they acknowledge his deity. They acknowledge him as, as being the son of God. Look at this. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. Interesting, isn't it, how they acknowledge him, how they recognized him when so many others didn't. Remember how Paul described this authority that Jesus had? Look at Philippians 2 and verses 9 to 11. Awesome, powerful, authoritative verses from God's word. Therefore... God exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge or confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And unlike the confession of we sinners that leads us to that place of, of to the saviour and, and to forgiveness when we confess our sin and we come to God and we say we know Lord that you died on that cross for us for me you did that for me I confess my sin Lord I repent of that sin I ask you to come into my life Lord with the absolute assurance that you have salvation from that point on Jesus forgives you of your sin you start a brand new life you're a brand new creation the Bible says and unlike that kind of a confession, the confession or this confession from the demon came out of its terror of judgment and destruction. Our confession comes out of, yep, we're, we're fearful of that if we continue on that path, we're going to face God's judgment. But we know because the scripture tells us that if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just. He'll forgive us of our sin, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. These demons, when they confess, it's coming out of absolute terror of judgment and destruction that they know they're going to face. And there is absolutely no chance of salvation for them. Their days come, gone. They're gone. They're defeated. They're waiting judgment. No chance at all of salvation for them or Satan. 
And it's what James means when he reminds his readers in his letter in James chapter 2 and verse 19, when it says this, you believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder at the thought. You see what James is saying, don't you? It's no good saying, yeah, I believe in God. You've got to know God. Because the demons believe in God. And the result of that belief is they're fearful. They're stricken with terror at the thought of judgment. So having this mental kind of belief up here, that's not going to do, folks. We need to hey, say, Jesus, we, I need you in my life. I need to follow you like these fishermen did. I need to know you intimately as you know me intimately. It's interesting. Scroggy says this, a little bit controversial maybe. He says, devils are better theologians than some professing Christians. You know what he means? The Lord Jesus, however, he doesn't need any help from this impure demonic spirit of making his name known. So he commands it. He has the authority to do so. He commands it in verse 25 to be quiet. I like how Aurora said it. Be quiet. The, the actual word is be muzzled. Putting a muzzle on you. Shut your mouth. And instantly it, it shut up. It has to. Because of the authority that it knows it's under. A similar thing happens here in verse 34 of Mark 1. Look at this. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. He didn't want them proclaiming who he was. <clears throat> and they come under his authority. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that powerful? And then here in this, this same verse here, um, Jesus also then commands the demon to come out of the man. And again, it has no choice, but it has to comply for it recognised the authority of the one who gave the command. And folks, we need to remember that this is the same authority that we have, the same authority of the name of Jesus Christ that you and I have today to overcome demonic forces. And they're present in all kinds of different ways. But you need to know that in the name of Jesus, the knee of that demonic, if, if you've ever been in a place like that, we don't go looking for demons or any of that sort of stuff, but sometimes you will. You need to know Jesus' name is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee must bow. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You need to know these verses. You need to be able to arm yourself. Remember the full armour of God. Put that on in your spirit. Put it on Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. Remember James 4, 7. <clears throat> These verses are good. This is like putting on the armour of God and using the shield and using the sword of the spirit. And again here, yeah, you remember what Jesus said to the 70 who returned after being sent out by Jesus and, and they came back rejoicing and they said, even the demons submit to us in your name. And then Jesus said in verse 19 of Luke 10, he says, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you, he says. 
I have given you authority. You know, when we read these things out, when we proclaim these things in the face of these demonic forces, they have to bow, they have to go, they cannot overpower you. Snakes and scorpions, well, they're not literal. But I believe that they are evil spirits that Jesus is referring to here. So please, don't go out trying to stomp on snakes and scorpions. Some people do that. There's a sect that picks up snakes and carries on like idiots. Jesus isn't talking about that. But you do need to be alert. We need to be alert, my brothers and sisters. Be alert. 1 Peter 5.8, be alert, Jesus. Well, God's word says, be alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We need to be alert to the enemy, but also be aware that in the name of Jesus, we have that authority that he has. So, so far we've looked at Jesus has authority over human design and purpose. Jesus has authority as a teacher over God's word. Jesus has authority over the demonic world. And finally and briefly, Jesus has authority over every form of sickness. And uh, as I said briefly, we see this in a number of places here in Mark chapter 1. For example, Simon's mother-in-law, verses 30, 31. I'm just going to mention these briefly. Then there's a whole lot of sick people and infirm people who come to Jesus in verses 32 to 34. And then there was the man with leprosy that was healed in verses 40, 40 to 45. This is an interesting one. It's interesting to note that when the demons were told to be quiet about who Jesus was, they obeyed him. They had no choice. They had to obey him. But when he told the leper that he healed, not to say anything about him, what happened? <laughs> Look at verse 45. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result... So Jesus always has a purpose in what he tells us to do. There's always a reason for it. And look, this is part of the reason here. As a result, because this man had blabbed it all at the wrong time, Jesus said, keep it to yourself. Don't tell anyone. But no, he couldn't help it. And you can understand, he's cleansed. He's a new man. And he went out and he blabbed it everywhere. And then it says, as a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly but stayed outside in lonely places. And even yet, yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Healing. How do you feel about healing? Praying for somebody. Can I just give you a little bit of advice as we sort of wind it up here a bit? Can I just say to you, and maybe this doesn't even apply to you, but we should never feel awkward or embarrassed to pray for healing over someone that God brings across your path. Christian or non-Christian, particularly if they ask you to do so or they give you permission to pray for them. Do you, do you know what I mean? Um, and nor should you or I feel awkward to have someone pray over us. And I'd, I'd, look, I'd specify and say that that someone needs to be a brother or sister in Christ. You need to know that they're a believer. You don't want someone from some weird sect coming up and saying, I'd just like to lay hands on you. No, don't let them do that. All right? It has to be someone who loves the Lord, and you need to know that. 
before you let them pray over you because it could be all sorts of other stuff going on there in the spiritual world but you need to just not be embarrassed or feel awkward to have someone from our church that you know say look I'd just love to pray for you would you be okay with that and that's what we need to do you don't just walk up to someone I'm going to lay hands on you and pray over you no you don't do that it's just being arrogant just simply say look I'd love to pray for you would you mind if we did that and most times you'll find that they'll give you the the, the freedom to do that but to pray over someone because you know that Jesus has the authority over all sicknesses is he going to heal that person immediately you don't necessarily know that but you're doing it in faith because you know that Jesus has the authority to heal that person. And that person's given you the okay to pray for them. So be obedient to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And then just leave the results with God. Because as I said, you know that he has that authority over every sickness. Just a quick little example. When Rose and I went to uh, Care Outreach with part of Care Outreach and Mitchell. Uh, we visited a number of people. And there were times you'd pray before you went in there and, uh, and you'd listen to people and you'd just sense in your spirit and, and you'd sort of have that discernment. You'd, you'd ask God to give you that discernment and that sensitivity. And as you began to talk with people, you, at the end, we perhaps felt prompted to say, look, would you mind if I just prayed for you? And there were people who had injuries from farm equipment and there were people who were just sick. We didn't see miracles happen in front of our eyes. But we did ask them, look, do you mind if we just prayed for you? And most times, I don't know of anybody who said no, Rose, do you remember? And just about every time, every time probably, we could just pray for them. And it's just beautiful that you just let God's Holy Spirit do what he wants to do there. And be privileged that he's used you as a vessel for that thing. And you leave the results with God. He works in powerful ways. I had a little thing here I was just going to read to you. Oh, my, I should just share quickly too that uh, went around to see our son. Our son's been stricken with this rotten flu. It's kept him in bed. He's been desperately sick with this thing for about a week, even though he's had the flu needle. So we go around there and we're just talking with him and I don't want to embarrass him and anything like that. And that but yet felt prompted at the end while his wife was there, our daughter-in-law, and the three of us just got up and, and I said to my son, Steve, I said, mate, we, I just want to pray for you. And Leanne, I think she was waiting for us to do that. You know, and she came over and she sat with him and Rose sat with him and we just laid hands on him. And I prayed over my own son. Just believing that God has the authority in Christ to heal. And we leave the results with him. But it's a beautiful thing to do. When, you, when someone just lets you pray for them like that. Yeah. Let me just read something to you, and then we're going to close this. Have I, I've gone too long. Listen to this little poem. O Saviour Christ, our woes dispel, for some are sick and some are sad, and some have never loved thee well, and some have lost the love they had. Thy touch has still its ancient power, no word from thee can fruitless fall here in this solemn evening hour and in thy mercy heal us all. Don't you believe we all need to be healed of something? We do. We need his healing. And folks, I love this promise from God's word. And look, hang on to this. Hang on to this. 
This is a promise that you can lay hold of no matter what ministry you are involved in. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Amen. Everything you do in the name of Jesus as a service to him because you love him, none of that is ever done in vain. Even though you may never see remarkable results or anything else, do it because his word tells you that when you do it in his name, it's not in vain. And go out then rejoicing, saying, thank you, Lord, for the honor of serving you tonight or today. Just by bringing someone a drink of water, doing it in his name. Your labor for him is not in vain. These are the four points. Jesus has authority over human design and purpose. Jesus has authority as a teacher over God's word. Jesus has authority over the demonic world. And Jesus has authority over every form of sickness. He's the one with authority. Let's pray. Dear loving Father, thank you that we're talking to a God tonight who has immense authority and power. And Lord, it's in your name that we want to be obedient to you, that we want to love you more and just be more conformed to Jesus and be available to you even this week amongst our friends, our peers, our families. Who knows? You know, and it's so exciting as to where you're going to lead us this week. It's exciting as to who you're going to bring across our path. Scary maybe a little bit, Lord, if we're honest, but it's exciting because we're going out in your name and in the authority and the power of Jesus. And, and Lord, we just want to be there for you and, and for you to do what you want to do as you use us. But grow us close to your heart. Keep us tuned into your spirit and walk before us and help us to walk with you as you lead us out into the rest of this evening and indeed this week, we pray for your glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Bless you, folks.